Welcome to the Functional Medicine Radio Show with your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga, known internationally as the Functional Medicine Doc. Dr. Carrie is committed to helping patients find the root cause of their health problems and fixing the cause with natural treatments so they can feel normal again. Dr. Carrie is the founder of Functional Medicine Ontario and is the author of the hit book, Reclaim Your Energy and Feel Normal Again. Please welcome your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Functional Medicine Radio Show, the only internet radio show dedicated to giving you real solutions to improve your health. Not only are they real solutions, but they're natural solutions as well, because as you know, the one and only true wealth you have is your health. I'm your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga, the Functional Medicine Doc, and I'm committed to helping you find the root cause of your health problem, fix the cause with natural treatments, so you can feel normal again and live your life to the fullest. Just a quick bit of housekeeping before I introduce today's special guest. I'm happy to announce that I'm working on my third book now. The title is Reclaim Your Digestive Health and Feel Normal Again, Fixing the Root Cause of Your GI Distress with Natural Treatments. This book should be ready mid-2016, so keep an eye out for it. That's it for our housekeeping, so let's get started. I'm so very excited about this week's show because my special guest is Sarah Ballantyne. Let me tell you a little bit about her. Sarah is the creator of thepaleomom.com. She's co-host of the Paleo View podcast, and she's a best-selling author of The Paleo Approach and The Paleo Approach Cookbook. Sarah earned her doctorate in medical biophysics and spent years doing research on critical care medicine innate immunity, gene therapy, and cell biology, earning a variety of awards for research excellence along the way. Sarah's transition from the academic researcher to a stay-at-home mom to award-winning and internationally recognized health advocate and educator was driven by her own health journey, which included losing 120 pounds and using both diet and lifestyle to mitigate and reverse a dozen diagnosed health conditions. Sarah's deeply interested in understanding how the foods we eat interact with our gut barriers, our immune systems, and our hormones to influence our health. Sarah, thank you so much for being my special guest today on this episode of the Functional Medicine Radio Show. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really excited. Sarah, as I was getting ready for our interview today, I realized that you are the first real paleo expert that I'm having on my podcast. And then I thought, why did it take so long to do this? (laughs) It's kind of slipped through the cracks, I think. Well, I'm super excited to be the first, like no pressure on me, of course. Oh, and as this podcast is is, um, airing through the holiday season... I find it very typical going through the holidays that people like get off their diets, they start eating unhealthy because, hey, it's a time of celebration. And then January comes around and they want to get back on the health bandwagon. And so I think our podcast is coming out at a really great time. I think also, you know, as you know, clearly I'm very enthusiastic about the paleo diet, hence the word paleo and everything that I do. But, um, but I think too, that it's a very common time for people to find paleo. Yes. Because it's such an excellent recovery diet, right? So we tend to, when we're overindulging during the holidays, you know, most of us feel it. Most of us feel 
run down. We can feel we don't have the same energy. We feel lethargic. We'll start to get headaches. We'll start to have mood issues. The stress of the holidays will start to get to us. I know myself, you know, when, when things slide that way, I start to get joint pain and just muscle fatigue. And it's really vague and amorphous. And I just generally feel meh, which I think is a technical term, right? It is. It's diagnostic of something. (laughs) Something. (laughs) Well, and And, I I also find at the end of the year, people are thinking about, well, another year has gone by. And this is what has happened during my year. Here's the good stuff. Here's the bad stuff. And then they kind of start doing a health inventory. And it's, you know, I'm a person who likes to set resolutions and usually way too many that is actually practical to to (laughs) address and achieve. (laughs) And so when I get to this time of year, I start to go, okay, you know, it's for human nature to focus on the negative. So not what did I achieve this year, but what what still hasn't fallen into place for me yet. And that type of mindset when you're dealing with chronic health problems, um, when you're you know, you just your health and fitness isn't where you want it to be, whether you're, you know, battling some weight you want to lose or you just want to be able to perform better at the gym. Those those types of um, well, I mean, it's really all health problems. Right. But those types of things is, is a place where people will come to paleo very, very commonly. Right. So people come to paleo because they want to lose weight. People come to paleo because they have chronic health problems and they um, want to use diet therapeutically. Mm-hmm. to manage those health problems or they come from a performance standpoint or like a mix of those things. And I think what generally people find, right, once you get over that um, sort of deer in the headlights, oh my gosh, I have to give up all of these favorite foods. What am I going to eat? This sounds crazy, you know, and then when you first start and you have to troubleshoot in your own life what you're going to eat for what meal, how you're going to, where are you going to shop now? How, how are you actually going to cook these foods? People generally find that once they get through that initial transition and realize, oh, it's actually not that hard. Uh Actually, a lot of the meals I used to eat, I can still eat, um, and I'm just not going to have pasta night anymore. Um, And then start to feel good and have improved energy and improved moods. And typically, people who are overweight lose weight very easily. Typically, people who are underweight will gain weight very easily. Like, oh, all of a sudden... It's not a weight loss diet. It's a weight normalization diet, right? So all of a sudden, hormones are being regulated. Hunger is being regulated. Sleep is improved. Um, you know, all of these things tend to just come together. And it usually most people will find in the three to four week range. Um, so that's right around the time that many people are losing their momentum on a uh-huh, New Year's resolution. Uh-huh. Um, but when you start to feel good, suddenly it doesn't require effort anymore. And I think that's one of the, the hardest things, I think, it, for for people in general is that the recommendations that we've been given over the last few decades of what we should be doing when we work really hard to do those things we don't feel better you know so we're working really hard to eat this low fat whole grain diet and we don't really notice weight coming off we don't you notice any changes to our energy and so we tend to lose that momentum, like if it's constantly hard work to make those choices and we're not getting any benefit out of it, I mean, what's the motivation to keep going? Whereas paleo, I think, is really very different from that because the vast majority of people 
will feel better over a very short time scale. And I think that's why we've seen this movement grow so dramatically over the last decade is because it's one of those things that people try. Um, and sometimes it's a 30 day challenge or it's, you know, I want to lose this weight before I get into my wedding dress or, or you know, these sort of short term goals. Uh-huh. Um, but people become so like, oh, my gosh, I didn't realize I could feel this good. I didn't realize how I felt before was abnormal. And then you end up with uh, what, people who are committed to it as a lifestyle for the rest of their lives. And then you get to experiment and figure out where your wiggle room is. So it's a, it's different from other diets in the sense that it's not, it's not this really firm set of rules. It's more like a template. So you've got a starting place and then you've got all of the places where you can tinker and really make it optimal for you. And that means both what your body responds to the best and makes you feel the best, but also what fits into your life the best. So if you've got challenges, like you've got a couple nights a week where the, you know, you go straight from work to the kids' soccer games and then you're home really late, you know, you've got those challenges. You need to figure out how paleo fits in with that life. And, and there's, you know, so many solutions that people generally find. It's, it's a pretty, once you get over that initial Uh, sort of learning curve, it's actually a very easy lifestyle to maintain. So Sarah, in my first book, Reclaim Your Energy and Feel Normal Again, I talk about the importance of food as medicine, and I talk specifically about the paleo diet. So for our listeners out there, I bet a lot of them have heard about the paleo diet, Mm -hmm. but if you can just kind of go through the basics of what does the paleo diet include? So it's a very nutrient-focused whole foods diet. Um, and the focus is on eating a variety of really high quality meat, seafood, vegetables of all kinds, tons and tons of vegetables, fruit, eggs, nuts, and seeds. And within that, right, you can prepare those foods in many different ways. Most herbs and seasonings are absolutely included. Um, And so you can have very ethnic flavored dishes, but it really is a diet that hones in on the foods in our food supply that have the most to offer us nutritionally um, and that are the most anti-inflammatory, right? When you start talking about things like seafood, you're talking about really healthy fats that reduce risk of cardiovascular disease, that help with brain function, that reduce risk of developing dementia later in life, that help with um, joints and can reduce you know, pain from things like rheumatoid arthritis. You're talking about tons of vegetables. So you've got all of the bone health, minerals and vegetables, right? The the strongest dietary factor that correlates with um, reduced risk of osteoporosis or hip fracture is actually large vegetable consumption. It has nothing to do with dairy. Um, so you've got all these bone health minerals, um, immune health minerals, you've got all these anti-cancer compounds. You have all of this great fiber that supports gut health. Um, and so it's it's this diet that really hones in on, um, you know, really the, the best things that we can put on our bodies. And we cut out everything that is inflammatory, everything that negatively impacts the health of the gut, everything that disrupts hormones, um, everything that's an empty calorie, right? We just, all of that stuff is cut out. And it surprises people sometimes when you hear this list. And and a lot of people will start the paleo diet with this no list. And I really just like doing that because it starts it on this very negative note. Here's all of the foods you will be deprived of for the rest of your life, right? Like that's that's not a way to approach any kind of change. Um, But 
it surprises people to learn, for example, that grains are not actually nutrient-dense foods. They have very, very little going for them in terms of essential vitamins, minerals. Even the fiber content is no different from vegetables, right? We always get told we have to have our healthy whole grains for fiber. Well, vegetables have just as much fiber, a fraction of the amount of sugar, and typically up to about 10 times as much vitamins and minerals, and then also has all these great phytochemicals, which reduce risk of cancer and are anti-inflammatory and anti-aging. And like, that sounds amazing. And so, um, and so we, we take out these foods like grains, like legumes that, that can be very, very problematic. Um, and we focus in on the, the nutrients, the foods that have the most to offer our bodies. Okay, Sarah. So I know a lot of listeners, it's the holiday season and they're wondering about alcohol. Is alcohol allowed on the paleo diet? Yes. So um, that, that's, the, that's the short answer. It's generally considered sort of a gray area food. So um, alcohol, you know, our uh, genes that are um, help us process alcohol uh, date back about two million years, so before we were actually humans. Um, so we've clearly sought alcohol. It was actually originally a way of us to detect the ripeness of fruit um, so we have this ability to detect fruit that's riper because the alcohol content of fruit um, increases as a fruit ripens. Um, and when you look at animals in the wild, there are animals that get stinking drunk off of fermented fruit that's fallen off of trees. So that's clearly something that humans probably enjoyed uh, for the last few hundred thousand years. Um, when you look at it mechanistically, and my approach is always, um, you know, the contemporary cellular biology, molecular biology, physiology, how are the compounds in that food actually interacting with the human body to either promote health or undermine it? So when you look at it functionally, um, alcohol, you know, wine, for example, has great polyphenol content, which is a really powerful antioxidant. It's got some good stuff um, to offer us. Um, Alcohol itself can promote the growth of undesirable bacteria in our digestive tracts. So um, that is something to be concerned of, and especially for people who, you know, have gastrointestinal symptoms, um, probably drinking alcohol is not doing them any favors, right? It can promote the growth of things like E. coli. Um, And so it kind of hits this like, okay, so it's got some effects that are not so good, some effects that are good, Um, And studies are really mixed about alcohol consumption and risk of disease. So there's um, certain chronic illnesses that regular, you know, alcohol consumption, and sometimes it's not even just wine. We always think of like red wine as being studied in these studies, but alcohol consumption, period, um, can reduce risk of dementia or Alzheimer's, for example. Um, But at the same time, there's other health conditions that regular alcohol um, can increase the risk of. So for example, regular alcohol can increase risk of um, inflammatory bowel diseases. So it's one of those, it's got some good, it's got some bad. Why don't we treat it as an occasional treat? Um, and why don't we really monitor how our, our bodies actually respond to it? So um, I would put it on, you know, certainly gluten-free, grain-free alcohols. So something like wine, or like apple cider, I would put that on a yes list, but a moderation yes list. So definitely not um, not something to have six of every day when you get home from work. 
Okay, so you told us a little bit about the alcohol gene. Can you tell us a little bit more about the history and the science behind the paleo diet? Because Mm. I think a lot of people wonder, is this just a fad? Yeah, so it gets labeled as a fad diet very often, which for those of us in the paleo community, that raises our hackles typically. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right? Nobody wants, nobody who's really dedicated to something wants to be told that you're, it's just a fad, right? You're like, well, I just committed my entire life to this. So I, you know, if you tell me it's a fad, that means it's all going to, you know, crumble in a couple of years. Um, so the paleo diet originated um, with some, you know, researchers. They were anthropologists, evolutionary biologists. Um, and, uh, you know, other sort of kinesiologists, but doing sort of anthropological research. And it came from this idea that when we look at hunter-gatherer populations, um, whether they're historically studied, because over the last couple hundred years, there were actually some scientists who were doing some really excellent research. And even though those particular populations don't exist anymore, um, we've got some really great information about how they lived or the current, you know, populations of hunter-gatherers that are sort of scattered across the world. And we look at them, and they do not suffer chronic illness the way we do in Western societies. So they don't get cancer. They don't get cardiovascular disease. They don't get diabetes. Um, And these things that have grown epidemic proportions in our society. And when you take a step even farther back and you look at the paleoanthropological record and you look at what Paleolithic man was eating, and we can tell a lot about what they were eating based on um, carbon isotope studies, based on analysis of tools. Um, And so, you know, we certainly can't say for 100% certain they were eating this and not eating this. We, We do have a fairly good idea of what they were eating. And when we look at their records, they had great teeth. They were taller than us. Their bones looked amazing. There's no indication of these chronic illnesses that are, are so rampant today. And so we go, hey, these people actually had great health. Yeah, they didn't have emergency medicine. So if they got mauled by a lion, and then, then they didn't get to go to an emergency room. If there was an, you know, an epidemic infection that went through a, a village or a tribe, there was no way to treat that. And so the you, you had to just be naturally healthy. You had well, right? you had to not suffer yeah. an accident, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so you know, one of the the you know, when we start this this paleoanthropological argument, people go, well, cavemen only lived to be thirty. Well, no, there was actually a huge range in age. The average of 30 takes into account infant mortality, which was extremely high because it was a dangerous time to be a baby. Um, And those that lived to be 80, because they did, had fantastic health. And so so we kind of, we look at these populations, right? The hunter-gatherers that are alive today, um, what we can uh, infer from Paleolithic man, and we go, they were really healthy. They didn't, they didn't have any of these problems. They must have been doing something right. And hey, look, they were eating pretty differently than how we eat. Maybe that's it. And so that was that was the idea that really started the, the, the paleo diet, was this idea that um, what these peoples are eating is the reason for their good health. And the, that idea has expanded to also looking at a variety of of 
lifestyle factors. So it's not just what they're eating, but it's how they're living. So they go to bed shortly after the sun goes down. They get up shortly before the sun comes up. They walk a fair bit. Um, they do sit a lot, but it's not as long periods of time and it's usually on the ground. So it's a very difference for body position and it's not, um, it's broken up with more breaks during the day than how, you know, an office worker, for example, has their day. Um, no chronic stress, right? There's no traffic. There's no deadlines. There's no alarm clocks. <laughs> there's no, there's no three cups of coffee in the morning. So these things that are stressors in our lives. And so the paleo diet has started to, to pull in from a lot of those concepts, but what's happened, you know, this was sort of the original rationale for so the original um, form of this diet. The diet itself has evolved over the last um, sort of 12 years um, to incorporate more, um, more data from contemporary science and also more perspectives from traditional diets, which is a little bit different. Um, and so the the what the paleo diet is now is fairly different from what it was. I think it was 2001 that Lauren Cordain's first book came out and it was initially popularized. And so now what's, what's really propelling this movement forward is not um, let's put on some loincloths and get a spear and uh, go out into the backwoods and see if we can get dinner. Um, what's propelling this movement forward now is those of us who've come into the community who really want to understand the mechanisms. So for me, I see this this idea from looking at the paleoanthropological records as being the hypothesis. I don't see that as being the proof. It's a, hey, they were healthy, maybe it was their diet. Let's test that. And it turns out that there's actually thousands of scientific studies that take a little piece of that question and evaluate it. So we can actually look at what wheat germagglutinin does to the gut immune system. And we can start to piece together this much more detailed story of how compounds and foods interact with the human body, how certain compounds can be inflammatory, what happens to our hormones with others, what happens to our gut health, what happens to our gut microbiome, what happens to our uh, hormone health, our neural health. And we can start to, we can start to, to you could, it's almost like coming at paleo from the other side, right? And what happens is when you evaluate foods based on you're putting them on the scale, right? The nutrients they contain, we want foods that have tons of nutrients to actually support all of the functions of our bodies. And then you want foods that don't have things that are inflammatory, you know, things that are going to negatively impact our health. And you put every food on a scale and at some point you have to draw the cutoff. I'm going to tolerate this much. That's not going to help me. I'm going to, I want all of the stuff that is going to help me. And when you use that metric to evaluate foods, you come to the same general guidelines. And so you can explain why the paleo diet was or and still is so successful in um, avoiding chronic health problems based on some really core concepts that come out of contemporary science. So it really boils down to hormone health, gut health, immune system health, cardiovascular health. And we look at these foods and we can really understand what foods that are included on the paleo diet, why those are benefiting our health and why foods that are excluded, why those were undermining our health before. And we're starting to see more um, clinical trials that are pitting paleo against other dietary strategies and showing that, for example, paleo beats out the Mediterranean diet for um, 
diabetes and cardiovascular disease risk factors. And so now we're starting to see these studies that are really validating the scientific foundation that the paleo movement is propelling its momentum forward with. So Sarah, thank you so much for explaining that science, because now I think our listeners have a really good understanding that the paleo diet is not just a fad, that there really is a lot of science behind it. And so let's switch gears now and talk about a successful case. So let's talk about how one person implemented the paleo diet into their life, the problems that they had with their health before, uh, and then what happened to their health as they shifted through and went through the paleo diet and implemented that into their lifestyle? So I don't see clients. So the best case that I can give you is actually my own experience. Well, that's perfect. Um, so I um, had actually, I, as you mentioned in the intro, I had a dozen different diagnosed health conditions. And after my second well, I was after my first daughter was born, I was morbidly obese. I was close to 300 pounds and I had prediabetes and I got scared. Um, I really, my uh, PhD research had been in a vascular surgery research laboratory. So I knew intimately what the complications of diabetes were. And I didn't want to ever have a leg amputated. That, that was my main motivation. Uh-huh. And so I, um, I really, um, I really, you know, motivated to, you know, be a better role model for my kid, be healthy for my kid and, and not, you know, not continue down this road that I was, I was heading down with uh, rapid, rapid speed. And so I, um, did a low carbohydrate diet and I lost a hundred pounds. And, uh, then I had my second pregnancy. I had a much healthier second pregnancy. So with losing that weight, I was able to normalize my blood pressure and reverse my prediabetes. And I had a much healthier second pregnancy. I lost the weight again, sort of a low carbohydrate approach after my second pregnancy. And then I got stuck. And one of the things that happened was I still had weight to lose, but I wasn't losing it. And every other metric of my health was getting worse. So I had lost all this weight and I had uh, three different skin conditions. So I had eczema, an autoimmune condition called lichen planus, and an autoimmune condition called psoriasis and they were all getting worse I was having horrible migraines I was having anxiety attacks and mild depression I um, had severe acid reflux um, irritable bowel syndrome I was having terrible acne Um, I had horrible low energy I was achy all the time Um, my moods were terrible I had asthma I had a bunch of allergies and all of these other things were continuing to fall apart. And I had this moment where I suddenly thought, hey, maybe being thin and being healthy are not the same thing. Uh-huh. And maybe I need to figure out how to be healthy. And so I started doing research on the internet um, and really looking at food sensitivities and not wanting to go out and get tested, just wanting to know what the common culprits are and maybe do an elimination diet. And so it was that research that brought me to paleo. And I'd heard about it vaguely before, but I hadn't, didn't really know what it entailed. I started reading about it. And my first response was probably a very common first response of that sounds crazy and yeah. really hard. And, and what I am I going to eat? <laughs> I don't want to do that. Um, but because I hit on some of the more scientific websites 
Um, and I st the evolutionary biology argument really resonated with me at the time because of my own scientific background. And I ended up reading everything I could about the diet for three months before I was really talked into it based on the research that I had done. And so I decided I would start it. And um, I did on August 31st, 2011, cold turkey. You know, I was back from vacation and this is the day I start the paleo diet. And within two weeks, I was able to go off all six prescription medications that I had been on. One of them had been on for 12 years. That is amazing. <laughs> it is. It is. Um, you know, like my doctors just thought I was crazy. They're like, well, how, how can you, you know, not have severe acid reflux all of a sudden? Like, I don't anymore. I don't need, you know, I don't need laxatives. I don't need my asthma medications. I, you know, like I don't need all of these steroids that I slather on my skin. Like everything's improving. Um, I lost weight really quickly. So I lost 20 more pounds in just a few months. My energy was better. My migraines went away. Um, my skin improved. And it generally felt like all of the pieces of the puzzle were falling together. And that was, that excitement was what, ended up driving me into creating a blog and starting to create resources to sort of share what I was learning with whoever was out there and wanted to know more because I really needed to stop uh, talking to the hairdresser and the dental hygienist about how amazing paleo was. You had to tell the world. I had to tell the world. I was like, oh, I don't put instead of just talking to innocent bystanders, I should just create this resource for other people who are looking for it rather than going out and being the crazy person. Um, but... What was really interesting was even though I had this initial improvement in my skin, my eczema went away and my acne went away, but my lichen planus and my psoriasis persisted. And so about three months into paleo, I, I and at this point I was getting more and more well-versed into the, the science and really understanding the mechanisms. And I was really committed to this approach, right? It's a very functional medicine type approach. Right? I am I am providing the raw materials that my bodies need for all of the millions of chemical reactions that are happening in every cell in every moment. Right. So it's it's a very it's a it's a very different way of thinking about food than calories in, calories out, or carbohydrates in or carb you know, like it's it's a very different approach. So I was committed to that approach, but I needed to tinker. And so what I ended up doing was um, sort of happening on this variation of paleo called the autoimmune protocol that was not very well, um, not very well uh, communicated at the time. The rationale behind it was fairly um, minimal, but it was designed for someone with autoimmune diseases and both psoriasis and lichen planus are autoimmune diseases. So I decided I would try that as a New Year's resolution. So in January 2012, I started the autoimmune protocol, and that was where, okay, finally now these missing pieces are starting to really fall into place. So that was how I discovered that my body is very, very sensitive to nightshades, which is the family of vegetables that includes tomatoes, peppers, potatoes, eggplant, um, chilies, and that I really can't, you know, those things are just as bad for my body as gluten is. You know, gluten makes me violently ill if I get accidentally exposed to it. And nightshades make me extremely inflamed. Um, you know, I'm miserable for weeks and weeks and weeks afterwards. So, um, so I got to really experiment. That was how I um, really developed an even more intense nutrient focus than I think is uh, still common in the in the paleo community. So, for me, I started incorporating uh, organ meats into my diet several times a week. A lot more seafood. Uh, really large. 
uh, portion sizes of vegetables. And I really started to tinker. I discovered just how important sleep is for my health, just how important stress management is for my health. And when I have all of those pieces in place and I'm not, for example, writing a book, um, then I am 100% all of my autoimmune conditions, which also include arthritis and Hashimoto's thyroiditis, all of those are in complete remission. Uh, once I let sleep slide or let stress slide, um, then then all of a sudden, you know, it's it's harder work, and um, and I'll start to I'll start to feel that those things. So for me, it's become um, you know how I eat is just how I eat, and it's easy. Um, and my whole family eats this way, including my eight-year-old and my five-year-old. Um, but what what I've really had to learn is that it's not just about food and that lifestyle is equally as important. And actually, I think in many ways harder to prioritize. I think it's easier to completely change the food on our plates than it is to restructure our lives so we can go to bed two hours earlier. I think you're right about that, Sarah. And I want to just thank you for sharing your health story with our listeners because it's an amazing story about how taking control of just one thing, your diet, and really focusing on having your food as your medicine can have such a huge impact. But even on top of that, bringing all of this information out into the world. And I mean, I I credit you with developing the autoimmune paleo diet. And I I've recommended your books to so many patients out there, like you've really helped have an impact on uh, functional medicine as, as we know it. That's, um, you know, what's amazing to me is that the resources that I've created were all motivated by me just trying to sort out my own stuff and me just trying to figure out what, what my body needs, but then trying to understand the science behind it and trying to understand what about that is specific to me versus generally applicable. And that, you know, and then putting together that resource for everyone else. I mean, what I, you know, I started having health problems at seven years old um, and they progressively got worse through my teens and my early 20s. And because of those health problems, I had a hard time with life. Um, I was bullied as a kid. I uh, really struggled with the stress of graduate school. I was in a lab environment that had some really weird social dynamics going on. And I feel like if I'd had my health piece together, that would have changed a lot of the other experiences in my life. And so what I really try to do with my resources is provide people with the information that I wish I'd had 30 years earlier that would have, um, you know, granted I wouldn't be doing this right now if I hadn't had all those experiences, um, but what I'd like to do is help shelter other people from having to go through that and so that they don't, they don't have to go through what I had to go through. Um, and if I can even help one person not have to go through those experiences, then, you know, that's, that's it, that my life is successful. So Sarah, can you tell us, uh, can you tell our listeners where they can learn more about you? So I blog at thepaleomom.com, um, and from there you can actually link to everything that I do. Um, you mentioned my books, The Paleo Approach and The Paleo Approach Cookbook, which are really designed at taking the paleo diet to a therapeutic level for autoimmune disease and other chronic health conditions. I also have a new cookbook coming out in two months, or oh, December 15th, so actually maybe not two months by the time this airs. Um, oh, it's not even two months now. I can't count. It's, it's a month. Oh, goodness. 
Uh, time is flying. So I have a new book coming out called The Healing Kitchen, and it's another cookbook using uh, the Paleo Autoimmune Protocol, but much more designed to be uh, very accessible and approachable for people who don't want to spend a lot of money on food, don't spend a lot of time in the kitchen. Um, you know, we really tried to, awesome. to yeah. make this book uh, just crazy accessible, and then you can take that and go up to the Paleo Approach Cookbook and get the much more nutrient focus um, with recipes. Um, and, uh, yeah, so generally uh, we have a podcast, the paleo view. Um, I have a television show pilot called paleo bites. So you can watch on YouTube and, um, that's, and you can link to all of that from the paleomom.com. So you don't have to feel like, Oh no, I have to write all this stuff down. Just go to the paleomom.com <laughs> and you will find everything that I do. For the listeners out there that are driving right now, or you're on your bike or whatnot, I'll make sure that all of those resources are in the podcast notes so that you can easily find Sarah and all of her great stuff. Sarah, I want to thank you so much today for being my special guest. This has just been an awesome interview and I want to have you back on so that we can get into more detail on the autoimmune paleo diet and even talk about how vegetarians and vegans can do the paleo diet. Would you be willing to come back on? I would love to. Oh, fantastic. All right, that wraps up this very special episode of the Functional Medicine Radio Show with Sarah Ballantyne. And I want to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in today. And I'd like to invite you back next week for another episode of the Functional Medicine Radio Show. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Kiri Drizga, the Functional Medicine Doc. Have a great week, everyone. You've been listening to the Functional Medicine Radio Show with your host, Dr. Kerry Drizga, known internationally as the Functional Medicine Doc. Dr. Kerry is committed to helping patients find the root cause of their health problems and fixing the cause with natural treatments so they can feel normal again. Dr. Kerry is the founder of Functional Medicine Ontario and is the author of the hit book, Reclaim Your Energy and Feel Normal Again. Please tell your friends about the Functional Medicine Radio Show, and we'll see you next week with more from Dr. Carey.